Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Australia has just had a moment like we haven't seen in decades. Women around the nation have risen up. They've gathered in unprecedented numbers, shouting, chanting and cheering, enough is enough. So, where did this electrifying energy come from? And will it turn the tide on gender inequality? Feminism, by definition, is the belief that men and women should have equal rights and opportunities. Feminism is about equality, isn't it? It's about men and women having the same opportunities in life. If that does not suit you, then get out. been a lot of talk recently about whether our country is ready for women leaders. It takes courage and strength to be empathetic. Smashing the glass ceiling yet again. Not now, not ever. I moved on her like a bitch. I just don't think there's a place for sexism in our politics. Nobody respects women more than Donald Trump. This has to stop. Hello and welcome to Broad Talk. I'm Virginia Halsicker. Thanks so much for joining me. This week we zoom straight in on what I think has been one of the most exciting moments for gender equality and feminism in Australia in decades. And that, of course, is the extraordinary turnout we saw this week in every capital city, in regional cities and towns and even rural outposts right across Australia with over 100,000 women and men coming together for the March for Justice rally. I was there standing on that stage in Canberra outside our Parliament House. And I've got to say, just before I began to speak, I looked out and saw a massive sea of faces with a crowd so big I couldn't see where it ended. But boy, oh boy, I saw face after face beaming with hope and optimism. There were expressions that said, finally, finally, we're confronting some of the long-buried, dirty secrets our nation needs to confront – Issues around sexual violence, rape culture, harassment, disrespect of women, a systemic gender inequality in policy, law and participation, and our democracy's failure to support and fully represent women. So how to unpack what happened? Why did it happen? And where to next? I'm joined by a woman whose hard work and dedication to gender equality in Australia deserves many accolades, and might I say, I've admired her for a long, long time. But before I introduce you to her, 
First, my WBPP, that's World's Best Podcast producer, Martin, is reminding me to remind you that you can always join our Broad Talk ongoing conversation and our chat community on our Broad Talk Facebook page. Just click to join the discussion group, the Broad Talk Roundtable, and we'll willingly throw open the door and let you in. And don't forget to tell everyone you know to download Broad Talk and spread around because these are conversations we need to have and I think we need to share. Now, my guest, Helen Daly Fisher is head of Equality Rights Alliance, the ERA, which is focused on women's voices for gender equality. By way of background, the ERA is one of the six national women's alliances. It brings together women's organisations. In a nutshell, ERA advises government on ways to use federal policy to advance gender equality. Helen's background is in law, where she spent a decade or so working in the community legal sector. She's worked both on the front line of legal services as a solicitor and also at the other end in policy and law reform. And she worked on the New South Wales Law Reform Commission's report into the Anti-Discrimination Act. And she represented the National Association of Community Legal Centres in global negotiations during the drafting of the Disability Rights Convention at the United Nations back in 2003. So look, it's very clear that Helen is extremely well qualified to talk all things gender equality. However, I've asked her here to speak personally, not as a representative of ERA or any of her aligned interests, but to talk directly and personally to Broad Talk and to you. Helen, it's such a delight to welcome you to Broad Talk. Thank it's you. Fantastic to be here. Thanks. Well, in a week where we're both, I think, a bit exhausted now, <laughs> it's still <laughs> spinning. I want to get personal straight away. Why did you go to the march and what was happening in your head and heart as you saw the crowd grow and grow? I first um, came across Janine's text suggesting the march way back, not long after she sent it. And there was never, for me, never any question that I would attend the march. You you attend the march because you have to. You attend the march because it's, it's women's lives that we're talking about here. But... I come from a background of um, people who are um, activists, people who um, care about the way their politics you know, sort of manifests in the real world, whereas I went back to my book group almost immediately after I saw the, the tweet and said to my book group, uh, my little litmus test, you know, um, there's going to be this rally. <laughs> I'm very sorry to use the WhatsApp for the book group to promote this, but is anyone else interested? And I got an endless stream of um, members saying, well, of course we're going. And so it was a, it was a moment where people across the spectrum from across my life in all my circles um, suddenly came together on this one issue and said there's there's no reason, there's no way we could stay away from this mm. rally. This rally is an important moment in time. Mm. Now, I've got to say I felt the same. And when I was asked to speak, and I remember it really well because I was at the press club, it was when Grace Tame uh, gave her International Women's Day address. And I was there and I just asked Grace a question. And at the end of it, so it was the third of March, uh, someone came and asked me if I'd be interested in, in speaking at the Canberra rally, March, and I remember saying to the woman, look, you know, yeah, absolutely, of course, I'd be really happy to do that, but in terms of numbers, you know, what are you expecting? And she said, oh, Virginia, you know, we think it could be really big. And I said, well, you've got to 
keep in mind, Canberra, you know, it's, 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 well, you know really well. It's hard to get a, a big crowd on a weekday. And I said, look, you'd be doing well to get about 300 or so women on a weekday. Yeah. <laughs> I went out to my book group because I was worried the numbers wouldn't be there. So was I. Yeah, terrifying. I, for, for, the, for the two weeks in the lead up, I was sending stuff out all the time because I, I was getting anxious that uh, the numbers probably weren't going to come in. And even though the Facebook numbers were fantastic and we were, you know, rapidly growing ten, to over 10,000 and then it was 20,000, I still kept saying to people, look, that doesn't mean people are actually going to turn up. And it is Monday and, you know, lunchtime, it's a parliamentary sitting week, people are busy. So I was pretty nervous about it. But boy, oh boy. When I walked down, I, I was doing some interviews in Parliament House in the lead up to it on the day and came out of, of the press gallery and walked outside and I, so I saw people sort of swelling towards the stage I had a real moment. Now, tell me what you thought, what you felt. I actually turned up early because I had a meeting that I had to take online um, before. And so I planted myself in a spot and thought, yeah, it'll be pretty quiet. Um, <laughs> I did I did know that the numbers were going to be impressive, but my idea of impressive hadn't solidified at that point mm. because um, in my role at ERA, I, I run a network of women's organisations and I had started to get the feedback from the members that people were, were coming, people were signed up for it. So I had an idea, but at that moment where um, the band started playing in Canberra, so at the Canberra rally they had a fabulous um, female-fronted band playing early on, and there was almost, there was a strange confluence of a party mood joined with a, the sort of sense of seriousness that you get at a, a serious occasion, um, maybe something even religious, you know, a sense that this was a, a duty being fulfilled, but one that people were coming to with sort of full hearts. And at the point where um, the lawn started to fill up, I'd ended up quite close to the front. And so I couldn't see what you could see um, from the, the back, um, looking at the people because the, mm. the lawn slopes away from Parliament. Yeah. And so um, there was always a moment of, oh, gosh, I hope this is, you know, sort of looking <laughs> as good to everybody else as it is to me because standing there you could feel the emotion. Yeah. Um, there were people crying. Yeah. There were people um, clearly reliving their own trauma and being there in that moment, standing in solidarity with people you don't know, people who have clearly come from a long way away, and I think some people really did. They did. Yeah. They did. I, I actually came across a woman who'd driven um, – she'd been driving for a couple of days. She'd come all the way from Port Lincoln. Yeah, yeah, people who were clearly driven by a need to speak. And for me, I think that's the, that's the really interesting part of what's come out of this is how much of a – a need to tell the stories there is. Everybody has a story, whether it's your own or that of someone you love. And that's the part that we haven't registered in the national consciousness. Yeah. And that ability to be able to come to one place and hear people speak about their stories and know that you were in a space where people understood, that's revolutionary and it's not something we have a place for in Australia. I couldn't agree more. Um, and I love the way you describe it too as almost a sort of a quasi-religious as well as a bit of a party atmosphere. And I've got to say, I was feeling very serious about the whole thing. And when I heard the band playing, I, I felt a, sort of quite a mixed emotions. I thought, shut up, be quiet. <laughs> but then, you know, when they started playing um, I Am Woman, by that stage I was at the stage and sta well, literally standing in front of it. And that fabulous icon of Australian feminism, Wendy McCarthy, came rushing up to me and we had a big hug. And she and I immediately started dancing to mm. I Am Woman. And yeah. it was just, it, it suddenly just felt like 
pure party, but but just joy. Yeah. Joy, we're here. We made it. It happened. Yeah, where I was standing, the sway started in time with the music. It was wonderful. And um, there's that really interesting moment where there were people who weren't quite on the right wavelength. Um, and I think because this was a rally like no other, like we – People who attend rallies know that there's a bit of a, a bit of a structure to it. There's a bit of a call and answer going on. There's a bit of a you know um, a bit of rowdiness going on. That wasn't there at this rally. It had a different feel to it. And occasionally around me, when speakers um, became inaudible, um, people called out. I have to say, it was actually a couple of the male attendees standing near me. Um, well done for being there, guys. But listening, um, <laughs> we're shouting out, "We can't hear you." And a woman standing close to me suddenly snapped her head around and said, she's crying. Oh. And there was a moment. It was, it was when Brittany Higgins was speaking. Oh, wow. And, um, her voice had become inaudible for a moment. And the women knew why it was. You know, I was standing, I was right at the bottom of the stairs of the stage at that point. In fact, I'd been belting some of the cameraman over their head to get out of her way. That was a moment, wasn't she, it? Yeah. She, well, she started tearing up, um, before she went on. And I turned around and saw that. And and then realised she was absolutely swamped. She could barely move because of the cameras. And being a former journalist, a TV journalist, I understand the need to get the shot. But I just suddenly got really angry and was pushing them out of the way. I had no idea that people couldn't hear. Um, in fact, I only heard that the next day, that um, there was an, a, 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 an audio problem. But look, you know, as I said, the whole thing was thrown together so quickly. Oh, yes. I mean, and, I, I was amazed that we even had a stage. And, and to be <laughs> frank, you know... Um, Brittany's message came across loud and clear. Um, and the immense strength um, that she projected uh, mm. when she was giving that speech was you know, beyond anything that I think that I was expecting um, to be hearing. Me too. And I know that it was touch and go as to whether or not she was going to speak. And um, I, again, found myself kind of, you know, silenced, I suppose, by her strength. Yeah, she she was struggling, but boy, oh boy, mm. did she get it. You know, get through it, and the message was very clear. Let's just—I just want to go back, wind back a little bit, though. A couple of days before the the march, you and I were involved over that weekend, preceding it to um, that very busy weekend. That very busy weekend. <laughs> uh, you know, I was I was involved in briefing meetings, and as were you. What were your thoughts at that stage about what was happening and how it was going? I was so proud mm. to be part of an Australian feminist movement at that point because let's let's put it on the table the organizers were not people who had you know great experience in organizing rallies None. and they did a magnificent job um, an incredibly you know seamless really given given the time they had and the fact that they didn't have the resources behind them you know, in terms of an organization or anything mm. it was an incredible achievement yeah. And to be there as it was unrolling was a, a really – I'm actually almost more proud um, of having been able to see some of that backroom stuff that was going on um, than of being there for the rally itself because it was a real moment of feminist organising that was totally grassroots. It was. In fact, yes, the, the grassroots nature of it I thought was really beautiful. It was so organic. I was really surprised, particularly when I came to the weekend briefing the day before the <laughs> the march, to, to find that most of those – organisers who'd come together didn't know each other. That's right. They actually hadn't certainly hadn't worked together before. They were from very different backgrounds. Most of them had had heard the call like you on Twitter from um, Janine and and contacted her and said, "Yeah, I'm available. I'll help." And yeah, none of them came 
from any particular organisation. In no, fact, none that no. I met. They're all just individual women who wanted wanted to basically be part of something like this and offer their skills. So it it was really funny. I thought that just hours before I did find myself thinking, is this really going to work? <laughs> because here we were sitting around the table and it didn't seem to me like there was a really clear structure for how the rally would go or who would speak when or anything quite mm. like that. But there was, but, yeah, it was very organic and, and, and it was also very decisive too, which was very impress, impressive, I, I think thought. that's right and I think that came from the clarity of purpose. Um, I mean, Janine was quite clear that what she was doing was bringing us together to express what needed to be expressed, to say it out loud and to make it understood and, um, for example, I um, personally am entirely supportive of the decision not to meet with the Prime Minister um, mm. because I think that I, you know, I was involved in some of those um, early discussions, um, but the decision itself was made by the organisers. And I think that we, we were running around. We had some amazing women lined up in the event that it went ahead. To, um, to, uh, to be part of Janine's delegation. Of yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and it was a, a good, diverse group that would have mm. brought that complexity to the discussion. But we know very well how that meeting would have gone. It mm. would have been, you know, 15 minutes of um, photo op and then 10 minutes each of talking and that would have been it. And that's not an appropriate response to so many women coming, you know, out of the woodwork and saying this is unacceptable. It's interesting because I ran into you and Janine literally in the car park when this was being discussed and my response, this was early on the Sunday, my response was, oh, look, I think it might be churlish not to go to that meeting. Um, I, I think I always sort of zoom in on the politics of what's going on and the need to connect with the politics and be really mindful of it. But within hours, when I started seeing the amount of, of pushback through social media with, with just thousands of women voicing their concern about that meeting, I, I must admit it, it changed my mind and I was really pleased when I got the message at about 5.30 a.m. <laughs> that the decision had been made. Yeah. And I, I thought I was about to go on radio and I actually thought, yep, that's the right decision at this yeah. stage. Yeah. And I think um, part of the issue with it is that, and you know, I appreciate that the offer was made and that it was a genuine offer, but that I'm not confident at this point that within Parliament, and I'm talking across the board here, um, that in the leadership of parties as opposed to in the heads of individual female parliamentarians, that there is sufficient understanding of the complexity of the issues to be able to engage in a short meeting like that um, on an issue which is complex. And that's the other thing that I think Janine and her team need to be really congratulated on is the way they broadened out the conversation beyond the initial flashpoint of what's happening in Parliament out to the very complex issues that are affecting different women in um, our, our community in different ways. So um, in particular, the strong Aboriginal voice that we heard in Canberra um, which that was the other point where I was I was nearly in tears when particularly Auntie Vi, um, local Aboriginal mm -hmm. elder here in the Ngunnawal people, um, her wonderful passionate speech, the way the conversation was um, broadened out and the complexity was allowed to flower. And that's essential because one of the things that holds us back when we're talking about gender violence is that we want to put it into little boxes and we want to make it neat and we want to make it something that can be solved by doing this, this thing. And we are talking about values. We are talking about the sort of things on which people construct their personalities. And you can't just fix that um, overnight. 
And when we're talking about an experience of violence that um, for a woman like me um, is rooted in issues of patriarchy and lack of respect for women and lack of understanding of a woman's experience, um, but for um, an Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander woman is also rooted in colonialism and racism and a history that we haven't come to terms with yet, um, and which is different again if you're a woman on a temporary visa or with a disability. We need to actually have space to tell those stories more broadly in order to be able to to understand what sort of next steps should be. And I think we were discussing earlier um, the question of more reports and more, um, you know, do, do you have yet another report? Well, this is, yeah. yeah, this is something I've been asked on radio talkback callers calling in when I was being interviewed the other day saying, when I mentioned that one of the requests was for a full independent um, review of the allegations that have been made in Parliament uh, around sexual violence and uh, abuse and uh, people saying, we don't need more reviews, we don't want more reports, we need action. Mm. And it's true, we've we've been over this ground and over this ground so many times. But each time we do it, we get more of the stories. And the process that we're going through now reminds me of other processes that we've been through. I mean, for example, the inquiry into institutional responses to sexual abuse. Um, the um, In South Africa, the Truth and Justice Commission and the calls at the moment for a Maricata um, process. There is a real need to tell the tales um, because it's only through storytelling that you can get to the complexity and you can start to understand that the drivers are different for different people and that we need complex responses to what's a very complex um, problem. Having said that, that doesn't mean that endless reports is the answer, but it's certainly part of the process. Helen, I'm loving this discussion. We're going to take a very short break and back in a moment. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. So Helen, do you think that the, the messages about what the rally was about at heart, do you think that has been penetrated the public consciousness enough? Do you think people understand it? I think that's a that's a really interesting question because 
the public is a term we tend to use <laughs> to describe, you know, what is actually a whole series of really complex communities. And I think some people are getting the message very loudly and clearly. Some people have understood it for generations in their family. Um, and other, to other people, this is completely new. And that's part of the reason why I think the storytelling is important, why we have to keep the stories coming and keep them in circulation, because we don't get cut through in the general community unless people can relate on a human level and at a values level. And so until we've got the stories being normalised, and this is one of the things that I think is really interesting about current media on this issue, the fact that the messages about violence against women are making it through to mainstream films, for example, mm. um, the fact that a film star- starring Kerry Mulligan about a woman um, who is responding to and reacting to violence um, can make it to the Oscars is one of those points where we are going to start to see cut through. And I don't think we're there yet on the community, and that's partly because the issues are complex. And I think you could say that a significant proportion of the population, and we, we know this from the, um, the attitudinal surveys the, um, that are done by ANROS, tell us that significant proportion of the population understand that violence against women is not a good thing um, and actually needs to be dealt with um, in you know, a way that you know, ensures that there's long-term change. In addition to the really complex issue of, of violence, um, as you've discussed, one of the actions, I don't like to call them demands, but the actions um, put forward, certainly in the letter that uh, that my organisation, the 5050 by 2030 Foundation, was a signatory to, and in fact an instigator of, a letter to the Prime Minister, was asking for the implementation of a Federal Gender Equality Act. Now, what are your thoughts about that? Oh, it's got such a Susan Ryan ring to it, doesn't it? It's beautiful. <laughs> um, I mean, there is a point where we are um, – circling around um, territory that we've been to before. Um, but each time we do it, you know, there's a bit of a development. And it does feel like there needs to be a point um, that allows particularly parliamentarians to sort of coalesce around the issue um, without them having to deal um, with the entirety of the complexity all at once. And so from my perspective, um, as somebody who's got a legal background, I love a bit of legislation. Um, and, you know, legislation that actually talks about girls like we matter um, is, is always a good thing. Um, and so I think that's really useful. But alongside that, needs to come that level of attitudinal change. And it needs to sit at a whole range of levels within the parliamentary system. So we can have an act, but acts have a tendency sometimes to just sit on the shelf and not be implemented. Um, and it needs actual engagement um, by parliamentarians. Don't you think, though, the rally, just the fact that, you know, in, in within two weeks, 100,000 women and men came out at, at short notice, don't you think that is significant enough to really shift attitudes, to, to make all MPs sit up and, and realise, gosh, we've got to pay attention to this? Look, I think we're always going to be a little bit optimistic if we're aiming for all MPs. <laughs> what we're looking for is a good, robust majority here. <laughs> but... Um, I think that um, this is a real moment where the impetus for something occurring um, has been built. What we've got, though, is sitting on top or sitting below the, the parliamentary space is a whole Australian public service that doesn't talk about gender. Mm. Um, now, there are individual voices and there's the Office for Women who do a really good job of trying. Um, you know, they elbows But they're out not heard. The Office for Women is not heard. heard. Yeah, yeah, it's just right. got no cut through these days. Yeah, it, the public service is big. 
Um, and the, the point where I think we've actually really cut through is when um, trade policy involves talk about women and where we have a feminist foreign policy and where um, when we talk about water um, and allocations on the Murray-Darling, there's a gendered lens on that because until we pay attention to the fact that 51% of the population is currently not accounted for in the way we make policy, we're not actually going to make substantive change. So I think the uh, Agenda Act is an excellent idea um, and it will serve as a focus point for thinking. Um, it's not On its own, it's not going to achieve the difference. We need to see that come all the way through. One of the things that I spoke about in in, in my um, speech on the day was Your about brilliant speech, by the oh, way. Well done, you. thank you, Helen. It was look, it was an amazing, amazing thing to do. I've got to say, I, I'm still um, my head is still spinning. I can't believe I did it. But um, one of the things that I did focus on was the lack of women, of course, in leadership and political participation, and the fact that our democracy, as far as I'm concerned, is broken. It hasn't served women well. We have a House of Representatives that has never ever been representative of women. We've never had more than a third of seats held by women. And consequently, um, issues particular to women have been sidelined constantly, as we know. So the issue of representation and um, leadership and participation, do you think those messages got through at the, from the rally as well? Well, what's interesting about that, I think, is that it, that might actually be a yes, you know, and I'm in my line of work. I'm not used to yeses. I'm not used to the moments where we go, oh, yeah, we've cut through. Me but, too. Yeah, but um, I think that the leadership part is one of the bits that they could tick off easily. And I think that bit is starting to register as, you know, a po- possible step. It's one that we've got to take with a little bit of caution. And, I mean, we're at the moment in the middle of the Commission on the Status of Women, the 65th one, um, which um, has a theme of women's um, public participation and leadership and the effect of violence um, on that participation. Um, so it's, it's a real theme at the moment and government is certainly having to, to deal with it. But... I think the difference between the House of Reps and the Senate is really interesting for us to focus on because at the moment there are more women in the Senate in the federal government than there are men, just by one. Yeah, you know? just. Yeah. But it's it's an extraordinary moment. And yet, as you say, the House of Reps has never gone above a third. Um, and so what's the difference there? And that's where we come back to this cultural issue because if you're in the Reps, you've got to go up every time there's an election and you've got to face that process and you've got to play the game. And the, the issues of culture, I think, are just that little bit tighter and a little bit more intense. The way we do politics in Australia, though, is is quite, um, let's face it, it's pretty toxic. Yeah, it's adversarial. And, yeah, yeah, very. And, in fact, we have a reputation now internationally for um, being our parliament being a really um, – a toxic masculine or masculinized place that is is really um, unwelcoming of women, and I've got to say also just the recent resignation of um, government member Nicole Flint is, is a really good example, and she spoke just the other night very passionately about how she feels that she has been howled out of mm. her seat, not because of what happens in Parliament, but just generally the response that she gets from the public because she is a young woman in politics mm. who who is very vocal. Um, and and hasn't held back and she's been thumped and yeah. and abused and called all sorts of disgusting names and had her her uh, elected office um uh, covered in 
disgraceful graffiti, really mm. sexist stuff. So we, when we see all of that and see how uh, ugly politics can be, is it any wonder that women uh, are reluctant to to run for office, particularly in the House of Reps, as you say, because you're constantly having to face the next election, the next election. Yeah, and the adversarial stuff sits there so tightly, like a toad, you know. Mm, yeah, and I think that there's a there's a real a real issue around um, how you take the massive energy that we saw at that rally um, from young women, and that was the that was my other big takeaway from that rally was that everyone was there. It didn't matter if you were seventy five or sixteen, um, and the young women were really present and they were yep. very articulate. Yep. Um, particularly the speakers from the ANU. Were they um, fabulous? They were brilliant. Mm. Yeah, and. Um, how we translate that into um, a willingness to engage in um, public, not just public discourse, but public action through parliament is difficult because we know from um, this plan have done interesting studies about the intentions of young women mm. in relation to their careers and politics is way down the bottom of the list. Absolutely. And it, I've got to say, it was really disappointing uh, to maybe three weeks ago to hear Grace Tame at the press club when asked if she would consider uh, a career in politics after this year of being Australian of the Year. And she said, no. Yeah. And everyone at my table, I've got to say, laughed and I turned around and glared at them all, and I said, "That's terrible. Mm. That, that's actually terrible." It's they laughed because all women say that, but that's actually what the problem is. And they laugh because they recognise it. Absolutely, they know it to be true. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think too, there's a there's a real issue for us around what do you do. We know that the public, the general, talking about the cut through of the general public, we know that the general public want less partisan behaviour. Um, we know that they want better behaviour in Parliament, and that's not even talking from a gendered perspective. Um, trust in parliamentarians is at an all-time low. Absolutely. And this is one of the ways to fix that, um, address the culture, and they hopefully they will come. Helen, what do you think should or could happen next? I mean, we're still just sort of days out of this extraordinary experience and, and you know, the, this extraordinary outpouring. Um, what do you think can happen or should happen? Yeah, and I think um, that the the emotion is going to be needed to drive the next steps. And so that means that things need to happen quite quickly, I think, um, before the emotion becomes a memory, particularly for the parliamentarians involved. Um, and it's good to see the reviews are in place. I'm very pleased that Kate Jenkins um, is involved um, because um, if we can get some of those recommendations um, from her report into workplace harassment up and um, moving, that would be a really good step um, that has sat there. For a long time, you know, for a year, we're looking for that the, one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, her report on on sexual harassment in the workplace and the recommendations has been with government for one year. That's right. Not one recommendation implemented. And I think that, in addition to the work on um, parliamentary attitudes and about the values there, and that that is going to be long term work because we are talking about people's values. We're talking about values as absorbed as very young people. Um, so that's going to need long term sustained work. But in addition, we also need that more technocratic piece where we start to build women's visibility into um, the way policy is developed. Because right now we can't be seen. Uh, when you look at the budget, and you might remember, yeah. it, for me, um, the rally didn't come out of nowhere. It came out of um, the anger that developed around the last federal budget mm. back in October um, when people said this is an excellent opportunity, for example, to invest in the care economy. 
And we didn't see that investment come through. I mean, if you want stimulus, put the money into aged care because most of the employees are female. The, the, the lack of spending in the last budget, despite it being the biggest spending budget we've ever seen ever in Australia, uh, the lack of spending on programs specifically to support women, even though women were the hardest hit through the COVID 2020 year, the spending of 0.038% of the budget was so insulting. But I've got to say, I think the, the real genesis, well, one of the genesis for what we saw this week for me was when the uh, Treasurer had a, a press club address where he was responding to the economic impacts of the pandemic on Australia and he failed to mention women yeah. in a whole hour. Yeah. And it's funny because we have seen the right words turning up um, in various different descriptions. It's not that government hasn't absorbed the message. It's that they don't have the mindset to turn women into something they consider when they consider policy. Literally, I think, when a parliamentarian says, um, I'm going to make a policy um, in relation to Australians, they've got a picture in their minds and it's unconscious, but it's a bloke. It's a white bloke who's able-bodied and lives in a city. And we, we need to move beyond that and the way to do it is data. Um, we need to make sure that we're in a position where the people who are working up the policies can ask those questions, can say, well, how will this affect women? Not only how will it affect women, how will it affect Aboriginal women mm. or women living in country towns or women who are receiving a disability pension? Because once you ask those questions, you start to really target your spending into places where it will actually make a difference. Um, if you don't know how your policy is going to affect 51% of the population, mm. how do you know whether it's going to be effective? And we can't afford to waste money right now. Absolutely. Policy work aside, from a, a general public perspective, for those who have no, you know, particular in, um, inroads to policy or even pay much attention to it, but came along to the march anyway because they're angry. Mm. What do you think those people need to see to 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 feel that this isn't, as you put it so beautifully before, just a memory? It's a change in behaviour. It's a change in the way we listen. A change in the way we treat people, particularly women who are disclosing acts of violence or acts of harassment, um, we need to see a change in the discourse, um, the, the dominant themes that come through from Parliament. The words need to change. And then when the words change, the actions need to change. What about the people themselves in their own workplaces, in their own homes, in their own friendship groups and tribes, what do you think we all need to be doing? It's exactly the same. Talk about it. Tell the stories. Make sure that um, there are safe places for that to happen in your world. Ask yourself if it was you um, or if it is you, ask yourself, where is it that I feel safe to tell these stories? And if you can, start telling them because we keep them silent out of misplaced shame or out of guilt or out of a whole range of um, emotions that we've been socialised to experience. And the result is that we don't know what's going on and we don't understand that this is something that impinges on each one of us in our personal lives. Um, we all know someone, we just might not know it. Yeah. yeah. Look, I, I imagine this is possibly the same for you, but I have been overwhelmed by the number of women who I know, who I work with, bosses I have, who have come forward in the last couple of weeks mm. or sent me emails or phone calls or messages 
telling their story of their own experience of of rape mm-hmm. and of sexual abuse. I, I, I mean, I've just been gobsmacked and it has been really overwhelming. I have found it really, really hard to deal with. Yeah, and I noticed an arc to it. So initially when Grace Tame was first appointed as Australian of the Year, the stories were told in a joking way. They were told as, oh, do you want to hear my terrible story about what happened? Oh, aren't men awful? Um, and then as the narrative rolled on and more voices started to come out, the stories that I started to hear were more from the heart, more authentic, less defensive, less guarded, less nothing to see here, I'm just, you know, mm. going to tell my anecdote, and more of a cry. Mm. And watching that change happen, I don't think we can go back from that. Um, once you've had people who have been able to say, I was wronged, I was wronged in fundamental ways and there's been no redress for me, I don't know that we can put that back in the box. I really don't. I think you're right and I hope you're right. Um, it's interesting with Grace Tame, uh, and I've shared this story before, but I was there when she was announced as the Australian of the Year and um, I, I knew her story and I felt really nervous for her when she got up to speak and when she gave the speech that she did i my heart was pounding and i felt really anxious for her because i all as a media person all i could think of was she's going to get smashed mm-hmm. they're going to break her yeah and in fact that was gosh that was australia day so january of 2021 here we are in march and how it's been wrong. a hell of a three months. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but how wrong I was. She's just gone from strength to strength. And because she's such an eloquent, sound, smart speaker and an instinctive speaker, um, or intuitive, I should say, she, she really understands how to get a message across, but she hasn't held back. You know, she hasn't, she hasn't wavered at mm. all. She is telling her story and she wants everyone to hear it and she wants to talk about grooming and she wants Australians to think about that um, and I've been really surprised as a, again as a media professional I've been really surprised how my colleagues have taken to her message rather than you know sort of well, not not that I expected people to ridicule it but I did expect people to be so embarrassed by it that we they were not they, used to hearing yeah, those stories that they yeah. wouldn't run with it I, I think this is a point where it's important to acknowledge the massive amount of work that's been done by young women. Yeah. Um, because we all stand on the shoulders of the women who came before us. And, um, the only reason young women can do what they're doing is because of what, um, has been achieved already. But the amount of effort that's gone into building a culture where women can talk about what's happened to them and be vulnerable. And it's happening online, it's happening in social media, and there's almost a, a formalised discourse now um, mm. which allows you to express something that's happened to you that is um, so tender and so um, damaged that you are deeply vulnerable. Um, but there is experience now in how you do that. And it's come not just from um, feminist activists, it's come from activists of colour, um, it's come from, um, in Australia, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander activists talking about their experiences. 
we, we almost have a language now that we didn't have before yeah. that allows us to talk about it. And that's one of the other things that I think means we won't get put back in a box because those conversations are spreading out. It's not just feminism. Um, it's um, anti-racism. It's anti-ableism. Um, it's um, trans-alliance work. It's, it's work that um, says that the stories of individual people are not there to be ridiculed. They're not there to be um, torn down. They are important and valuable things. And, you know, it's, we're not that many generations from a culture where we assume that the things that women said were not important and were not valuable. Helen, just lastly, unfortunately, we're going to have to finish up, but I just want to um, end by asking you to dig deep here and, and be as personal as you feel comfortable how how have you been personally affected by by what has happened in recent days the march what's what's it meant to you i have been shocked by the effect of it on me I'm one of those people who carries an enormous amount of privilege. Um, raised by a feminist mum with two sisters um, in a country town where um, I was given feminism from the beginning. It was always assumed I would go to university. I was surrounded by books. I've always known that my family were there for me, um, could come to my aid, had the ability to do it. We had the resources. I carry this world of privilege around. And... Uh, I think as a result of that, I have not directly experienced the sort of things that have been described. But when I hear the stories, I want to howl. Mm. Um, and that takes me completely by surprise, because, and anybody who knows me probably as well, because I'm not a person who um, plays in, in emotional spaces very happily. Um, but it resonates so strongly in terms of what I know about the way power works in our society and what I know about the way people relate to each other, that it, the stories feel like something that, you know, they have a truth to them. And this is why the, the catch cry, believe her, you know, means so much to me because the truth in the words that these women are speaking hurts and it is tiring and it's wearing, but it's also bright and beautiful in a weird way. Um, so I have been exhausted and far more emotional than I would normally um, allow myself to be, but also massively energised, massively. And it's the strength and the bravery of those women who are telling their stories that give me that energy. Um, and it's a gift. Every time one of those women tells us their story, it's a gift to us. And so... Right now, I guess the big feeling is blessed. Oh, Helen, I just want to say here he to everything you just said. I, I feel the same. Helen Daly Fisher, it has been so lovely talking to you. Thank you so much for giving us the time and, uh, and joining me on Broad Talk. Thank you so much, Virginia. It's been a joy. And thank you to you for tuning in, for downloading Broad Talk and spending this time listening to us. There are so many rich conversations that uh, we are having on Broad Talk and that we need to have, and I hope that you will share these conversations or even the thoughts um, that come from these conversations with others as well. But I really do want to thank you for, for joining me. And once again, if you would like to join our community of discussion discussants and those who want to talk further about some of these issues, jump on Facebook on the Broad Talk 
Facebook page. Uh, I post there most days, just um, bits and pieces and interesting things, and you're welcome to comment. Or jump into the group. Click on the Broad Talk Roundtable group and we'll throw open the doors. Join the group and um, comment away as you see fit. And also let me know what you would like to talk about and what questions you'd like to ask me. So thanks again for joining Broad Talk. I really, really appreciate your support and your encouragement and all those lovely messages I'm receiving from you. Thank you so much. So until next week, happy chatting. 